Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adler Marcy Unplugged. This is going to be the nerdiest show you've ever listened to, like ever done. <laughs> I told you guys on Leon's podcast, yeah, you can already hear it. You can already hear how nerdy the show's going to be. Uh, to like factor you guys in, Crash Bandicoot has just been released today when the show came out. It's currently being played on my TV at home while doing this podcast. I'm not playing a, I'm not playing video games, and doing a podcast because I'll just get confused and you'd hear me swear and like halfway through Stephanie's story and that's just mean. So with that being <laughs> said, this show is sponsored today by Adlamarcy.com, StorySellingBlueprint.com, and StephanieArroyo.com. That's a double r o y o dot com. I think I got that right. Did I get your sign? Yes, you did. You win. Yes. Awesome. No points. <laughs> all right. Cool. So this show is all about fun games as always. Uh, I'm not going to give her an introduction because she can do that one herself. She's a big girl. That, oh, well, thank you very much. That could actually be seen <laughs> as an insult, but it's actually not. She's just, yeah, she's, she's a smart person that is above the age of 12. So she can give herself an introduction here. Uh, so tell us about yourself, Stephanie. What up? Sure. So after that, uh, somewhat of an introduction, I should say. Um, I am a copywriter and brand messaging strategist, and I work primarily with female coaches, and I help them create content or, depending on my mood, create shit that doesn't just convert, it transforms. So um, this is involving using what I call client whispering and client taming and getting into their client's head so they can create stuff that they actually want to click to buy. Cool. All right. So client whispering, que pasa? Client whispering. Okay. So client whispering and client taming. These are my two things that um, that kind of came about actually from working with uh, my own clients. And they told me that, oh, Stephanie, you really know how to get into the heads of people's, uh, of, of those who are going onto my sales pages. You know how to get into other people's heads. And so with client whispering is essentially knowing your client so well that you almost know her better than herself and knowing exactly what her pains and gains that she's looking to solve and to have and why she should hire you. So I use uh, some I, I use some uh, different kinds of uh, pers uh, personality typing, also marketing principles in order to understand and find your clients. That way, she uh, she feels that she's being heard, and you know you create things that she wants to buy, and then she does, and you make tons of money. <laughs> okay, so let me guess, you is that why you were like putting up that post earlier this like last couple of weeks ago? Like, hey, what do you guys think about personality types with like this and this and this and this and this? Which is like Myers Briggs, Colby, uh, and a few other ones. Is that what you were doing? That yes, definitely. And it's actually something I've been taking. Um, I also run a Facebook group called Marketing Not Mindset, which I can tell you a little bit why it's called that. But um, I've been uh, covering some of the personality typing, especially the MBTI, which is a Myers Briggs, um, and how to use that in your marketing and also in your own market research. So that's one of the biggest tenets that I've been using of how you can really understand your not only your own personality type, but how to use that for your clients. And so that way you can really understand what she's about. Cool, 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 cool. That's pretty awesome. I like that. Thank you. I to think so. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty cool. So. How long have you been writing? Like, how did you get into it? Because everyone has their own little unique story of how they became a copywriter. I mean, uh, I've got the the legend himself, Trevor Toecracker Crook. Basically, he's asleep right now um, at my apartment. So that's essentially <laughs> it's like, yeah, copywriters just chill at my place. But his thing was like, I had someone else was making a shit ton of money. I was like, I want some of that, and he went in. And of course, people of the show know my story, so we have that. Let's hear yours. 
Okay. Well, my story is kind of a little bit out of left field. So uh, my first business actually was an admissions essay consulting. So this is uh, helping students in order to get into the universities and the colleges that they want. And so including that was, you know, doing academic editing, um, but primarily I focused on uh, admissions essays. So at the same time, like that was kind of more of my side hustle. And I was working in uh, the legal field for about what would be uh, about almost 10 years. And so I kind of was balanced. (laughs) <laughs> what a rude question to ask. I don't care. <laughs> but if people get like, you shouldn't ask a woman how old you Screw you, you're a person. Equal opportunist here. You want social justice that starts with age. <laughs> well, since you asked, I'm 31. So Wow. No, I would not straight guess out of... that. Really? No, I would have gone younger. In a good way or in a bad way? In a good way. It's like you look younger, but you know that you're like mentally more mature because like, you've done your stuff, but still. Ah. Well, I should have just said then I started when I was 11. <laughs> don't, don't try and steal my story, okay? Because I, I started at 9. No, no, sorry, at 12, sorry. Ah, my, there you go. Yeah, see, my career started at 5, but in reality it started at 12, but still. Did it not start in the womb? What's wrong with you? Ugh, my, you parents, didn't. my parents didn't teach me well, <laughs> you see. It's all that fault. But anyway, sorry ah. to interrupt you. Please continue. <laughs> no worries. So yeah, I was legal, working in the legal field since I basically since I graduated college. And... Um, so balancing the two, I came to realize, and even I ultimately went to law school for this, um, I realized that, you know what, I don't want to practice law, I don't want to do this, and so what am I going to do next? So I decided that um, since I don't really like being told what to do, I should continue um, with the entrepreneurial side, but instead of making it a side hustle, I should make that my full uh, my full passion, my full business, um, the admissions essay stuff. So in order to do market research and doing my thing, I started exploring some of the entrepreneurial groups that are out on Facebook specifically. I joined a couple of those, um, was, you know, really, you know, puttering around trying to figure out how to make this thing bigger and better with branding and marketing and all this stuff. When I realized, you know what, these are actually people who I want to work with. Not, you know, I love my students to death, don't get me wrong, but I realized I wanted to work with entrepreneurs and be surrounded by them all the time. So what was the best way to do that, which was copywriting, pretty much. Um, I've been, you know, writing, teaching writing um, all the way through school. I was um, from peer tutoring since I was in high school, doing, you know, as a writing instructor for a bit in college. You know, even even though it's the legal field, I still did a ton of writing every day. And again, with my admissions essay business, it kind of seemed like a natural fit. And so I hit the ground running with that. Um, And here we are talking to you. (laughs) <laughs> yes, the the ridiculous brown person that knows his stuff when it comes to this crazy, crazy world. Well, two ridiculous brown people, actually, you should say. Oh, <laughs> fine. Just, you, you have to try, like, you're cutting in. First of all, I started when I was younger, and it's like, oh, I know, I'm going to go with the brown thing. No, Stephanie, that's mine. <laughs> that's mine. <laughs> Next thing you know, okay, so uh, ages ago, I think I told you, like, a couple of weeks ago, so... Futurama is one of our mutual loves of nerddom. There's Futurama, Rick and Morty, obviously Archer, and a few other ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but dear lord, I love Futurama so much that like I love the fact that your thing was hedonism bot. <laughs> like <laughs> genuinely, you have no idea how much of a nerdgasm I have. With, I had that. <laughs> the moment I saw, it, I was like, oh my god, this person has to be on my show. They have to come on. 
like <laughs> this is how prepared i was no word of like i was this prepared to do this if you if you said no i'm not gonna be on your show i was gonna straight up like target you with facebook ads constantly <laughs> with the ad that just says show or go on adult show we're looking for you stephanie <laughs> just this constantly and then you're gonna be like wait a second how's he how is this so directed at me because I would have. It's that bad of stalking, and I don't care. Because that's the level that you're willing to go to. Well, I did tell you, right, that when I was in college, my AIM name, or my my yeah. AOL, I, my AIM name was, was Hedonism Bot. That's, Never mind. That's, that's, that's what I mean. As soon as you told me that, I was like, oh, man, this is even better. I'm so glad you just came on the show. Like I told you, nerdiest show ever. Um, but what's it called? I love, like, the reason I bring that up is just because I find that... Um, you know, because I've been writing direct response nearly 16 years now. Um, mm. And I've just recently retired from writing for oh. clients. So I just work for myself. Uh, and very similar to you, you know how you have your client whisperer thing that you do and get into your mm-hmm. client's heads? Um, I have a very weirdly unique ability to just get in people's heads very quickly. Like, I can take your voice, what you say. I've already, I've subconsciously analyzed your words. What words do? Speak English, dumbass. Um, words. To, <laughs> words to work. Yeah. Understand your words in order to uh, recreate your own copy for you. So I can definitely do that whenever I need to. Um, mm-hmm. But that's actually what I do with the consulting side of my business. I just get into people's heads. They pay me. And about 20 minutes later, they have a fully fledged functioning sales letter. Yep. There you go. Yeah. And it's always fun. There but, the reason, but the reason I bring this up is quite simply... I find that the biggest mistake people make is they don't include story in any of their copy they use. And, you know, by the fact that I've actually created a story branding product, I've actually noticed because of this more so, people kind of have been studying books. Like, you know, um, mm-hmm. they, they read a lot of books, but they don't really apply it. And I, I want to be here and just get your opinion on this. What do you think about studying movies, TV shows, and fiction in order to pull out ideas for writing copy like have you ever done that and what's your opinion on it oh absolutely a hundred thousand percent i completely agree with it and this is something that even goes farther than just even copywriting and this is something that even when i was working with my students for their admissions and getting them into these schools often they would think okay i want to get into school so bad i need to just basically regurgitate my resume or even let's say with these coaches who are looking to sell their programs, let me just talk about the features of the programs and not talk about what, why should the client care? Like why should anyone care about why they're spending the time to read what you have to say? And when you look at TV or you look at movies, I mean it exists solely to entertain the audience. It's 100% about the audience. It's not about you know uh, selling something or you know maybe it can, but it's not about you know again regurgitating that resume you know, talking about, oh, well, it's 90 days and da-da-da and all this stuff. It's not, it's about the taking the audience on a journey. And so this is often where um, where a lot of people, whether you're a student all the way through a coach or if you're just selling something online, you know, physical, digital, what have you, they often get lost in the trying to find, either they're looking for a plug and play, right? They want the formula. Like, just tell me what to say and I'll write it and that's that. Or they just they're they're so immersed in what they're doing they forget that the person who's encountering them online is this person. could be the first time you is a person exactly or even that might be the first time that person's even seen you so they don't know who you are they don't know you know you from adam or eve they don't they just want to they, they want to be entertained and they also want to know why they should care 
And it's very, it's very easy to take that for granted when you've been, you know, immersed in creating your product or program for weeks on end and you just figure everyone knows this. And at the same time, what the way you see your program or your product is completely different than, you know, the, the casual viewer or the casual uh, browser. It's much, it's as much the same as a, you know, a moviegoer. Yeah, most definitely. It's the reason why I walked out the recent Wonder Woman movie and everyone was mad at me about it. <laughs> like, well, I haven't seen it yet. I haven't. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to say this much. Don't expect it to be anything like A, the comics, or B, um, anything that is of substantial non-predictability. Because, okay, I'm, I'm going to lay this out there. I don't class myself as a feminist. I class myself as an mm -hmm. uh, egalitarian or an equalist. I believe everyone is everything and can do whatever the hell they want. Don't really care about the politics here. But what I do care about is when you're trying to push an agenda and using a sex or an ideology behind it, because then I have a problem with you. Mm. And that's mm. the reason why Wonder Woman did so well in the box office is because if you look at who they marketed to, I mean, from a marketing standpoint, by all means, look at the damn movie for the marketing perspective. They did a great job. I mean, arguably, if you're going to go for a more enjoyable experience, go with Deadpool. They did a way better job on that marketing, uh, on that, how they did their own stuff. But with Wonder Woman, mm. they very much kind of like said, if you look at it, a lot of the press releases were like, Marvel has finally been beaten. There's actually a movie that's better than any Marvel movie I've ever seen. Mm. And it's okay. it, it's not anywhere on par. Like, it's, it's mm. not like, yeah, fair enough. Some Marvel movies predictable as hell. But how close are they sticking to the source material? Well, there's also the question, too, that there was a lot of precedence to Wonder Woman before it came out, right? Like, I don't yeah. know if you remember with the um, the women's only showings and everyone getting really upset about it. And, you know, all these men were clamoring, like, why is why are we not allowed to come in? All this stuff. So there was a lot of um, there was a lot of media churning almost that came before the movie showed up, right? Before the movie was released, there was a lot of talk about, like, well, why shouldn't they have a women's only viewing? Or whether a women's only viewing is is that, you know, discriminatory? What does that even mean? So that really brought up a lot of, at least on, on this side of the pond, yeah, it brought right. up a lot of, uh, of questions about that. And so it really kind of engaged a lot of, I know that, that especially for DC, they're doing this, of trying to engage more women um, to consume comic, comic books, to consume comic book movies or any of, any of the... Um, uh, I mean, the, the, the DC universe. So I think that was a really unique way that they did it. But at the same time, like you have to live up to the hype too. So now I haven't seen the movie, so I don't know whether I would be mad at you too for walking out. I'm not sure. But yeah. um, I mean, they did a really good job of kind of building up a lot of hype. But the danger of hype is that you got to live up to it too. So if it's not as good and, you know, women's only showings aside or anything, you know, men wouldn't want to see it anyway. Like that's, that's not so good either. Yeah, definitely. I've had a few of my female friends just basically say they were into it. I mean, the person I went to watch it with, she just turned around and she was like, do you want to go? I'm like, well, she's like, I'm bored. <laughs> I'm like, fair enough. Like, one of my guy friends messaged me going, what do you mean you walked out? It's like, didn't enjoy it. They're like, really? I thought you would. I'm like, yeah, it's the whole thing. Plus, if you look at the publication history of one woman and exactly why it was, why she was created, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot more sexual than people realize. Basically, the guy that created Wonder Woman uh, was polyamorous and had two wives, and was Ooh. very and was very into BDSM. Um, and because of that, you'd see Wonder Woman in the early days was very much tied up and um, held down and stuff in very questionable positions in the early comic books, and that's the reason why a lot of people don't know that. Well, that makes sense of the lasso and the uh, the cuffs, yep. especially. Mm -hmm. That yes. makes total sense. Yep, but now. 
kind of like shifting that perspective into say something like Deadpool, which I think actually did a great job. They were in production hell for nine years before that movie came out. Like mm-hmm. scripting and all the other, but like one, two people that stayed on that from the get-go were Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman. They're the ones that had that movie made and done. And the reason they actually released it was because Ryan Reynolds actually forced, uh, was given test footage photo- video uh, for Deadpool and accidentally, quote-unquote, leaked it himself online, knowing they would get shared. <laughs> um, right. And he was like, oh, no, this is not working. And then all of a sudden, it's like, <laughs> it's live and stuff, and everyone friggin' loved it because it's, it's amazing. Now, that being said, um, their marketing in the trailers, were they actually wrote uh, jokes that were different to, um, what's it called, what was shown in the movie at times. Like, not all the jokes in the movie were the same as in the trailers. Some of them were, but not all mm. of them. And it's all about the switching out, so it basically doesn't dull down the customer's reaction to what's funny and what's not. Exactly. Really exactly. Smart. So, mm-hmm. Go on. No, so that's almost like building up, not even just building up hype, but building up entirely different hypes that, you know, what, what they're expecting and what they get are different, but in a way that, you know, again, as you said, the building up that unpredictability is really important. And that was, I mean, Deadpool is an amazing, it did an amazing job of that in that it kept the viewer engaged and even directly engaged with them too, which it seems like if it's, if you are very much of a, say, I mean, I'm assuming with Wonder Woman, if it's a movie that's really, really pitching a particular agenda, um, it's easy to kind of forget that and get very preachy about it rather than, you know, breaking the fourth wall, doing that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like a movie, like the thing I love about Deadpool and again, he's one of my favorite superheroes is the fact that like the characters, the scripting, everything was down, done right. Um, Whereas, you know, it's a Sony property. So that Sony profited more than anything. If you look at the way they did scripting for that, they actually became the highest grossing R rated movie and also one of the highest grossing superhero movies of all time. I don't know if you actually knew Mm -hmm. that. Um, I didn't know that. They actually uh, became one of the most profitable because they had a paltry, and I kid you not, a paltry uh, $60 million budget. Now, oh, wow. That sounds a, like a lot, and it is, but if you look at other superhero movies like Batman vs. Superman, Wonder Woman included, or any of the Marvel properties that they've recently released, they've got properties worth upwards of um, $100 million that they're actually giving for these studios to actually go ahead and create. From sixty million, they did, they generated over seven hundred and twenty nine million dollars in revenue. Mm. Now, mm. trick question: What would you say would be the most um, the most profitable uh, movie of all time? Oof, that is a good question. Um, and it's not what you think. Well, if I'm trying to remember my film history correctly, mm-hmm. wasn't uh, there was a movie that even. Um, there's a couple of movies that are coming to mind that I remember that you have to even take into account, like the inflation, all that stuff, passage of time. One of them was uh, Cleopatra, right? Mm-hmm. Another one, I believe he was Citizen Kane, but I'm waiting to hear the answer because I think I'm wrong on both counts. <laughs> Close. Cleopatra's one. Citizen Kane really wasn't. The production values were super low, so it does rank in the top ten. Uh, actually, in the top five. The highest gross, if I remember correctly, and guys, email me, correct me if I'm wrong, is Paranormal Activity. Really interesting. Yeah. They their huh. budget their budget was fifteen thousand dollars. Ah, okay. Now like that the, makes sense. Yeah, they had a fifteen thousand dollar budget, but it pulled in figures and percentage for it most profitable a couple of million dollars, and because of that, they've gone on to be this sprawling empire, which is brilliant. 
Now, backtracking slightly to nerddom and storytelling, the reason I actually bring this up more than anything is because um, one of my favorite games of all time is a game called Gears of War. Mm. And I always urge anyone, including anyone listening to this, including you, uh, Stephanie, <laughs> to go ahead and spend six hours to actually watch all the cutscenes on YouTube and study them. Because you'll find there is more engagement on emotional hooking than anything else. Would you say that over, let's say, a game like Bioshock? I'm curious. Bioshock's an amazing game, but it more so than Bioshock. Mm, Because Bioshock kind of goes off the rails slightly. I mean, it started off as an amazing franchise in um, Rapture. And I loved the atmosphere. I loved the way they built it. But if you have something like Gears of War, which... uh, Have you played Gears of War at all? I actually have it myself, but I did watch my brother play it over his shoulder, so I know very well about the coal train. <laughs> yeah, good. You, you know who the coal train is. Yeah. <laughs> I love the fact that you brought oh, him up. <laughs> I fucking love coal train. Bad as well. Bad is the best, <laughs> but still. Um, that being said, fun, and there is relative uh, relation here to our good old friends over at Futurama in a moment, but. Um, mm. Not so much the Coltrane, but the way that Gears War was set out is that you actually felt immersed in that world. Like, more so than any other world, just simply because there were times the characters would interact and you'd feel completely at one with them. So, a character in the second game actually dies uh, early on. And mm-hmm. you feel so in- attached to them. But the best part of the second game, in my opinion, is this idea and this ideal that um what's it called it's the opening speech and it's such a rousing speech that it forces you as the character as the game player to almost feel like you are truly a part of the war Mm. so you you become roused by it you become not aroused roused different people (laughs) no 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 maybe a little it could be i don't know you could be into military men i don't know it could be a thing. Military speeches get me off. That would be that wouldn't be too weird, but <laughs> what's it called? Um, yeah. So Gears of War just basically does that, and it gets you into like the full immersion of it all. So you definitely feel like you're a part of the history of what's going on. The struggle is truly a part of what you do. Mm. And actually, a lot of, could be said also about um, some of the major blockbusters that are centering around wars in general which you'd think just on the outset that would be something that would be putting off viewers but there's a lot of if you look at any any really uh blockbuster, let's say, from brave, brave brave heart comes to mind um there's and like master and commander all of those basically like the 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 apex of the movie surrounds the that kind of rousing speech Right. Like really, it, it's I mean, it plays on the emotion so well. So that way you become fully immersed. And even I was reading recently now, don't quote me too much on this, but that men conducting movie soundtracks or also uh, video game soundtracks, a lot of attention is being it's placed on the beats Yep. because there are certain ways in which soundtracks can um, almost raise your heart rate. Mm-hmm. while you're watching while you're playing so that way you really do become a part of it so like that's taking you know world building like involving the senses to a way that i mean it's, it's pretty incredible if you think about it oh yeah of course if you've seen you've seen guardians of the galaxy 2 right i saw guardians of the galaxy 2 yesterday <laughs> so what did you think of it oh i loved it i really right. did love it a lot okay so you know the little baby groot's opening scene 
to Mr. Blue Sky. Mm-hmm. Arguably one yes. of my favorite songs of all time. Um, Mr. Blue Sky, the thing is, director James Gunn actually said the reason he does it this way is because he wants um, the actual... He wants the movie... He builds the soundtrack first and then makes the movie after. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. That's so, interesting. I, I think I heard Joss... Was it Joss Whedon who said something similar about this? So um, I, I'm a big Buffy fanatic. So of there, course. That, I mean, that's like a requisite, right? Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> um, that using, you know, in world building and building, you know, like Sunnyvale and all that, um, that the music meant just as much as... Like the music was a character to him, I think. Um, I might be misquoting him, but I remember him talking about the music being that way too. But that's really interesting with James, uh, with, with, uh, James, James Gunn. Gunn saying that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and fun fact, his brother's actually in it. And I don't know if you watched Gilmore Girls, but he plays, is it Kirk that he plays? Kirk? Mm, I don't remember. I was, I tried to get into Gilmore's, Gilmore Girls when it was rebooted on, uh, Netflix, Netflix. but I think it was a, sadly too late for me. Okay, no, I was so definitely the, more in the Buffyverse. <laughs> you know, you know the Gilmore Girls uh, in the reboot. How you had uh, that guy that tried to create his own Uber. Mm-hmm. That's James Gunn's brother. Ah, okay. There yeah. we go. <laughs> yeah, but he's also in Guardians. He plays um, Kraken, the, uh, the the second the second in command. That's basically like oh. it goes. Captain, you always stuck up for Quill. Ah, yeah. okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Brilliant stuff, really. I mean, the entire movie was absolutely excellently done. Cannot fault it. Too. Well, some people can fault it because it's predictable, whatever it is, but I don't really care. It's a little bit soppy, but I like it. Uh, plus baby group, so, you know, happy fun times. <laughs> but um, the, the connection I wanted to tell you about was, um, did you know that the guy that plays Marcus, the main character from Gears of War, is uh, mm-hmm. his voice actor is actually the voice actor of another favorite of ours, Bender Bendington Rodriguez. No way. <laughs> Same voice actor. It's amazing. That's too funny. Yeah, it's crazy. Like now the marketing lesson here is really because there is one is if you really look at it from the downpour of um how how it's how the universes are created the marketing machine that channeled out uh, a voice actor for one thing is basically a okay you know, slow down for a second so my brain is like shooting like 10 different facts off at me at once breathe <laughs> essentially what it is is that like the way that you create a different universe of voices to go into different roles is quite simply the same way that you create a new set of skills to work in different sets of the business mm-hmm. some things you're just good at some things you're not good at like bender and marcus phoenix two different universes same similarities and they're both badasses they both have like that gruff kind of uh attitude not so much the voice because Marx is the voice but it's the attitude and like i'm sarcastic i'm witty i'm smart ta-da mm-hmm. um so that's kind of like how he's typecast now if you take that same kind of theory with someone like uh do you remember do you remember friends at all did you watch friends i actually you? didn't watch friends i was one of those weird people who didn't watch friends god you weirdo Ugh, i know you. have I, you seen told- uh, have you seen run fat boy run <laughs> no <laughs> okay, I, I recommend you watch that because it's just hilarious. You'd love it. It's very British, but it's funny. One of the characters there, um, for the people that have watched Friends, uh, it's David, as in Phoebe's boyfriend, David, that moves to Minsk. Uh, that guy is actually the voice of about seven or eight people in uh, The Simpsons. Mm, a lot of okay. people don't know that because he doesn't look it, but he actually plays Ned Flanders and a few other people. Um, excellent actor. 
But he's been typecast as a certain way. He's kind of like the nice guy that can't really be anything more. In Run Fat Boy Run, they tried to typecast him as kind of like the asshole, but that didn't even work out. It, it mm. really didn't sit with him. When he's like the nice nerdy dude, totally kills him. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be typecast. If you want to be known for something, be known for something. Don't let the industry basically put you in one place. Is essentially what I'm getting with this. Now, okay. uh, what did you think of... Well, actually, it's really funny because I was writing an email sequence today about Rick and Morty, surprisingly, <laughs> and, and the reasons why they work, because I've just finished a two-day seminar with Drayton Bud and Trevor Toecracker Crooks. I literally went to the seminar for two days. And on the way back, Trevor and I were talking, I decided to write this email, and I'm not sent it out to my list yet because it was part of my program, but it literally says uh, how memories and nostalgia and story combined together create such a feeling of warmth and familiarity. It's the same with Beats. Because mm-hmm. um, Rick and Morty, you've seen like how some of their how some of their musical choices mm-hmm. are very ingrained. Like you'll remember the episode just simply because you remember the beat. Mm. Like if I played cha- if I played Chaos Chaos's or Falling on a Smoosh, uh, what was it? Does it feel like it's the one where Rick tries to commit suicide? Right. Yeah, you get that same feeling. You're like, oh shit, I remember that song. I remember that scene. I remember everything. Now they play heavily on the nostalgia angle because Dick, or Dick, Rick, <laughs> Brain, <laughs> Brain, I love you today. How you doing? Richard and Morty, as we like to call it. It's not a family friendly show. Fuck it, whatever. Uh, Rick basically is uh, Doc Brown. Mm-hmm. Right, so the whole thing starts off with a Back to Future nostalgic feel. Because, so, you know, a lot of people like Back to the Future, at least they know of it. That's one way. Second is they've always had that eccentric granddad. Or they've seen or feel like there's an eccentric granddad or uncle in the family. So you can relate to that on some level. Now that's two levels of nostalgia that have been hit. The third is story. The stories are actually Mm -hmm. quite humorous. They have dark comedy. And they kind of appeal to the sense of of today's day and age. And finally Mm -hmm. is... So they hit memory, nostalgia, and story. But where they wrap it up in perfectly is by a continuity. Because we live in an age where continuity is everything. If you watch the first season of Rick and Morty again without knowing what happens in season two, it doesn't seem like it makes any sense. But if you go back right. and watch it again, it's pretty phenomenal. And someone sent me this today where it was, um, it basically was uh, where Mr. Meeseeks goes to summer school and actually tells everyone why summer should be, why, why summer's popular. Right. And right. the first person to hug Summer and embrace her is Tammy, who we all later find out is a federal agent. Ah, okay, okay. So that makes. So the Mister Meeseeks box uh, that Summer used actually blew Rick's cover. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun universe building, right? No, I like that. When it comes to world building, and when it comes to do like. They did such a good... First of all, they did an amazing job in Rick and Morty. Absolutely. And actually, this kind of dovetails even to what we're talking about with um, Guardians of the Galaxy, too. Because, I mean... And I was reading this article, actually, yesterday about why Baby Groot was so effective in carrying the story forward. Um, Because not only does it, you know, especially with the soundtrack, does it, you know, no matter what age you are, like, you've heard these songs, especially, you know, on Mr. Blue Sky, or if whether it's from another movie, because I think it was in the... What was it in that? Uh, there, but there was also another um, movie it was in too. I think it was Eternal Sun and China's Spotless Mind. I think that's that's another one. Yep, that did actually. Yeah. So I mean, 
Yeah, so that, I mean, it, it hits also, even though it's a very Gen X movie, like if you're a millennial, you've seen Eternal Sunshine, you've seen all this. So, you you know, you've had this, you know, kind of going to background at some point and, and, and it gives you, like, you can't listen to that song and not be in a good mood. But at the same time, like, there's other songs that, you know, and even using it as a very, a big part of the plot, which is um, that father and son song, for instance. Yeah. You know, that Again. it really did pull yeah, it really pulled the nostalgia there. But the why Baby Girl was a really effective tool was because, you know, if you see all the characters, no matter how hard you are, let's say if you're Gamora, who's like, you know, super INTJ, like you know, doesn't have any feelings, like is a robot almost, you know, she's almost caring for him like a baby. And every every other person who's in, you know, in the ship who's who's part of the Guardians they take care of baby Groot as if it's a member of the family. And so that unconsciously gives you the feeling that they are a family unit. That's how they function together. That even though, you know, Drax is super literal and doesn't quite understand many things, you know, he can still take care of baby Groot. And so even through the, as the course of the movie is going on, you're still constantly reminding that they're, they're a family, you know, they're together. And, Again, pulling on those, you know, and carrying the story forward, pulling on those heartstrings with the, uh, with the nostalgic songs and things like that. It, it really is why when you come out of the movie theater, you just feel really good about the whole thing. Yep. So that, that kind of emotion was really, was really powerful from that movie. And that yep. goes to the, you know, the aspect of world building. You know, all the attention should be put, placed on, again, that continuity on the senses. What, you know, what is the viewer seeing, hearing, <laughs> all and of feeling. that. Yeah, um, and it's very, very similar to like, well, it is similar because if you look at a real great copy of the ancient time, I believe that you should always study the old copy. Um, mm. The best stuff that I've ever learned was down from people that uh, came down from, you know, greats that really understood storytelling as an art form. Because if you created that well, that feeling of encompassing, um, there's very little that you can do to go wrong. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. someone like David Ogilvy said it best. He goes, the thing that actually changed the response in all my ads was the fact that I use story to encompass it. And today we live in a very video technological age. And by having video in what we do, it not only makes it easier for us to, um, what's it called, to have that video continuity, but rather actually, how do I put this? It allows us to have to capture those different senses. So in a video sales letter, if you're creating a webinar or a sales letter, having some sort of soundtrack, even very very quietly playing in the background, it invokes feelings. Um, mm -hmm. Take Ryan Levesque's recent Ask launch campaign that he did back in summer two thousand. Well, actually, it's been a year now. Wow, um, two thousand sixteen. Uh, in summer two thousand sixteen. Hi, Chase. Sorry, my cat's now scrubbing his head against the microphone, as he would. He wants attention. <laughs> actually, you know what? Hold on. Wait a sec. Hello. So that's him, by the way. <laughs> the little dude himself. Um, <laughs> but anyway, I had to show you because he's adorable. Um, but anyway, so I'm saying it's the reason that he did that was because if you listen to his piano, like there's a piano or a structural piece in the background playing, and it doesn't complete the beat. It's mm. an in it's an incomplete beat, and consciously what that or subconsciously what that does to you is your brain says this is incomplete. I need to stay to the end. Oh, that's interesting. So you do. You stay in the end to complete the song in your mind. Otherwise, it drives you crazy. It's like, a, as Morpheus from The Matrix says, it's like a splinter in your mind and you don't know what to do with it. That's like Chinese water torture almost. 
much. Pretty much. <laughs> You're just waiting forever for the next drop. That was a little dark, but you know what I mean. <laughs> a little drop. Oh, a little dark. Sorry, please. It's what we do. The darkest hour. Community. Sorry, couldn't resist. Um, but kind of like jumping right off of that and kind of going back to you here for a second. What would you say is your favorite advertising book that you've ever read and your favorite fiction book that you've ever read? Oh, this is a good question. Hmm. So my favorite advertising book would probably be actually my first one that I'd read, which was the scientific advertising. I know it's a super quick read, super, super old also. And I remember even I picked it up literally because it was 99 cents in the Kindle store. And like I just needed to figure out what the hell I was doing, right? This is like I started my copywriting formally about two and a half years ago. I just needed to know what was going on. And do my due diligence and all that. So that was actually the first book I picked up and I loved it for that. And that also kind of is one of the reasons why I've gravitated towards the mentors that I've had, you know, who focus on direct, uh, direct response. And it's, it's kind of difficult, especially in the coaching atmosphere or the coaching world, I should say, um, navigating through some of the more gimmicky formulaic swiping, all that stuff. So I, that's been kind of my center for, for a very long time. Now, in terms of my favorite fiction book, this actually is something that um, you had brought to mind earlier today, too, about world building. Just believe it or not, it's Handmaid's Tale. Now, in, behind Handmaid's Tale, I'm, I'm not sure if you've read the book or if you've seen the show that's now on uh, on Hulu. Which show? Uh, uh, the Handmaid's Tale. Nope. It's on Hulu. Okay, so it's essentially I I, I love um, dystopian novels. That's my favorite. You know, again, keeping it dark. <laughs> so, but in the uh, The Handmaid's Tale, what it does it it does lend a little bit of an agenda, right? It, it is written by a feminist writer, but she does it in a way that is uh, couched very much into story. And yeah. while this is set, you know, it's interesting because it doesn't have a set time. It doesn't say what year it is, but it's set, you know, you understand it's set in the future, but the way it's set in the future is that you can very well see that world coming to fruition. And so that's one of the reasons why dystopian novels are so successful or so loved by weirdos like me is because you can see where you are now and how you can very well end up in that kind of world at some point. Yep. And and that's a part of the the world building that, you know, some people kind of uh, they, they either they, they look over um, or they you know should overlook or they don't really consider in their copywriting and their content or, or what have you, which is how can the person sitting there right now imagine themselves in this world? Yeah, how do I bring them to where I am right now? How do they understand what I'm trying to do? Exactly. Can they see the steps in front of them that would lead to this, right? Yeah. And the ones before them, because that's the other one. Exactly. Especially if you're bringing someone along on a path, you just can't dump them in the middle of the road. you got to remind them how they got there. One of my favorite movies for this, to remind me of this, is... Uh, What's it called? Memento. Ah, oh, yes. Ooh, I haven't thought about that movie in a long time. Bringing it yeah. back a little bit. <laughs> yep, got to bring it in. You know me. I, I'm, I'm a freaking movie fanatic, like, genuinely. Like, John Wick <laughs> is still one of my favorite movies, uh, just simply because the storytelling is so goddamn simple. It's plot device is simple. Rage. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's all it is. It's vengeance, and that's all. There's no need for anything else. There's no need for anything smart. It's just pure revenge. I love which that. Is, which is basically what one of the seven basic plots are. Mm -hmm. um, if you have pure revenge driving something, guess what? It, it's a perfect plot point because that's that works. But right. kind of jumping off that point and going back to like movies and stuff, especially with books, the way that you've actually got it set up. Um, 
Scientific Advertising is actually an amazing book, and Drayton Bud was literally asked the entire crowd uh, on Wednesday how many people in this room have read scientific ads, and nearly like 70% of the room put their hands up. And he was like, that's quite interesting because anywhere else that he's spoken, he goes, it's like crickets in a room, they don't know what it is. Interesting. And they call themselves marketers and business people. I'm like, you don't know shit until you've tried direct response and actually read books like that. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with scientific advertising, but you know, that's different. (laughs) <laughs> my my conversions tend to go low every time I apply something from scientific advertising. Really? <laughs> yeah. I, I think the weirdest thing that ever happened to me was I went from a 15% conversion on an ad to about seven after applying some oh, wow. scientific advertising. So I was like, huh, I can see why this works, but I can also see why my way works a little bit different. So I'm going to be okay with this. <laughs> well, in keeping it simple, one of the things that um, people often forget is that just because it doesn't necessarily apply to you or into something that doesn't work for you, you can always pivot and move on to the next thing. Like, exactly. I've always been one to kind of to side-eye the whole gimmicky thing. And as I said, you know, and I'm not ripping on anyone, you know, in particular when I say this, but when, um, you know, people are focusing on, you know, creating particular types of funnels and things like that and kind of smushing their product, their client, whatever it is that they're doing into, you know, into a marketing formula that just because, you know, such and such said this on a webinar, you know, just the whole idea of pivoting is just, uh, is, is frankly ignored in many ways, but it is what it is. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's just one of those crazy things that people don't understand, like at all. You mean the whole kiss concept, keeping it simple, stupid? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's really, 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 really dumb, and I'm not a huge fan of it all because, honestly, there is so much in life that you can actually do that can be taken care of in a much simpler format, and people don't want to do it. The other thing I have as well is, like, petty beefs. I've never really understood that. Petty like, beefs? What do you mean? <laughs> like, people have beef with people for no stupid-ass reason. Like, I've never mm. understood that, especially in the marketing industry. Like, I've noticed that especially a lot recently people have like problems with people rather than being upfront about them saying look dude i have a problem with you they'll be really uh, like sly about it like sly about it and really snide i'm like dude what the fuck are you doing stop being a child grow up and just get on with it and people don't do that marketing the internet marketing world in the same way that even though there is kind of in the venn diagram there's overlap between internet marketing and, and the coaching world and you can even say my experience in the legal world. Like <laughs> at the end of the day, sometimes we just love revisiting high school. <laughs> I don't think we ever leave high school. <laughs> um, I mean, that being said, like I, I, I mean, you're talking about having petty beefs. Like I do have like beefs with you know capital B with certain things. Like uh, in terms of you know, somewhat some things that I do feel are um, uh, they're I would Not say they're right. almost like yeah, exactly. They're marketing ploys even. Um, they're essentially, you know, pulling the wolf rise for, for many people. One of those things is, you know, focusing only on mindset, you know, um, as, uh, I know another podcaster, Vicky Prager, she talks about, uh, motivational poop, you know, yeah. <laughs> things like that, like focusing and all that, you know, I have problems with that, but when it's, you know, having problems with individual people, like you're going to find that everywhere. I mean, no matter what industry you're in, there's always going to be someone saying something about someone else mainly because I don't have anything else to say, but... Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those things. It's like a couple of our friends, mutually speaking, um, have that problem. I mean, I saw something today on Facebook that really kind of made me laugh, and I was like, 
this person really doesn't get what they're getting at. I'm not going to mention names, but they they did say something. I was like, that's a little bit stupid because you're seeing this in a completely wrong lens. Because um, if you looked at it really from what it was, you'll realize for a fact that this person actually didn't um, insult you. What they actually did mm. was tell you that the thing that you were trying to promote wasn't the right thing. You were trying to say something in a certain way. They were just saying, please use a different quote, so to say. Mm. And uh, it, it was just ridiculous. They got really mad about it. And I started looking at it going, it's starting to become that point where internet marketing, business in general online, went from being the cool crowd, yeah, we're cool and kind of like the counterculture to being, again, high school. It's like, he said this, she said this, I, I'm upset about this. And I'm like, <laughs> dude, like, I know for a fact you're in your 30s. Get over it. It's fine. Yeah. It doesn't, ma- doesn't I mean, matter what so and so said. Well, what's interesting is the lack of self-awareness, right? We talk about a good game about self-awareness all the time about, you know, like maximizing your ability, like optimizing this, da da da, all the stuff about you know, your miracle morning, all the, yeah, all the eyes, right? But it's, no one really talks about self-awareness in the point of, you know, if someone's bothering you, maybe it's a little bit with you. <laughs> maybe yeah. it's a you problem, not a them problem. But, well, I mean, that's, that's just humans, I think. <laughs> sometimes it is a them problem. I will say that much. I've had problems with people where they're just basically not cool. Hold on one moment. Dude, mm-hmm. seriously, it's really annoying watching you do that. When you're on the box, just hold down X when you're on the bottom and that'll springboard you up. Uh... Sorry, like Crash, like watching someone play Crash Bandicoot really badly does bother me. <laughs> like, really bothers me. So I'm just sat there, like, God damn it. <laughs> no, but I love that. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm just getting told to go. Like, I'm just in the background. You just hear "fuck you" right now because I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Like I said, we keep the show real. It's, it is what it is in the moment. Now, that being said, I'm not going to bring the show right to the close. Not before I do this one thing. There was something okay. I promised you I would do. What was it? Do you remember? Yes. You said that you would do a voice impression from me. Which one was it? Because there's several. but like uh, We talked about hedonism, but of course. Okay, so... so... Um, also... <laughs> <laughs> I think my nipple is too close. Do you want me to get the spread? <laughs> Sorry, it's lovely. Hold on, I've got to get the voice right. Hold on, I've got to like take my headphones right. off. So hold on, it's oh Jombie. There we go, Jombie. Mm. I just love Jombie because he's fun. But um, my other one's favorite is Captain Zap Zap Brannigan. Ah, oh, there we go. Yes, that's the other one. Zap Brannigan. <laughs> Tell him about my sexy, sexy learning disease. <sighs> Sex, Lexia. <laughs> Kip for the win. Excellent. Uh, excellent. 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 <laughs> exactly, or egg salad, as my friend used to say. <laughs> Friends are fucking weird. I love them. But okay, so that being said, I kind of want to like uh, ask you. Two, there's two questions here. The first sure. one is, when you've been down, like genuinely down, confidence kicked out of you, like you know, for some reason you can't get yourself up, you can't get what going huh? phrasing um <laughs> can't get yourself up come on please but, yeah. anyway <laughs> that's terrible but it's there but um yeah you can't get you can't pick yourself back up you're in that weird down state area what do you do to bring yourself back up like what have you done in the past okay there's a couple of things. I mean, there's also, you know, the usual go outside, have a drink of water, you know, exercise for 30 minutes and all the, you know, the usual stuff that see on like a Tumblr GIF or something. But <laughs> um, what I personally do, 
sometimes you need to just like wallow in it a little bit and feel it. And I have a, this is going to be really, really nerdy. I started this two years ago because I had an unfortunate incident with one of my first, first clients. Um, so, you know, I was a newbie, still with peach fuzz, all that stuff. Oh, and you know, she it was my, one of my first clients and also one of my first fired clients. And I created an Evernote, or so you know, it can be Google Doc, what have you, of all the reasons why I was not a shitty copywriter. <laughs> so I basically Good. hand wrote, I think I'm up to like 156, something like that, all reasons why I'm not a shitty copywriter. So either be cut and paste um, testimonials or uh, results that my clients have gotten or things that have been said to me or, you know, um, over the phone or what have you or just, you know, some of my own qualities, like why am I not a shitty car? So sometimes I, I, I do bring it up and think, okay, let me read through why I'm not you know, a sack of shit right now. And so if that doesn't work, often having a slice of pizza and watching the movie Amelie, which is my, one of my favorite movies since I was, you know, I can't even tell you. Yeah, pretty much. And um, yeah, and I just watch that. And then, you know, I have a moment, I have my afternoon and or however long, and then I get out of it because there's work to be done. Okay. Quick question, because you actually brought it up. Favorite slice of pizza? What what is what is your pizza flavor? Uh, well, I'm a New Yorker, so it's got to be plain, or maybe with pepperoni. I know some people do like to do crazy things, like add pa- pineapple to it, but that's just uh, being that's a little sacrilege. fancy. <laughs> not sacrilege as much as just you being very exotic, but that's not pizza. <laughs> yeah, no. See, I'm uh, part Sicilian, so for me, it's always a margarita. Always okay. gonna be a margarita, like classic cheese only. Cheese sauce well, base, you can't go wrong. Exactly, but do you? Since you're Sicilian, it does it have to be because the Sicilian slice for New Yorkers is a square, and it's a lot of dough and very very thick crust. Is yeah, it that, not, or is it triangular no, floppy skin pizza? No, no, it's not even floppy. It's the triangular perfect pizza. It's okay. Perfect. If you ever come to London, I'll take you to a couple of pizza places because um, I actually own a pizza blog. But we'll oh, talk really? about another time. Yeah. <laughs> Only starting it. I actually went to a pizza place yesterday and uh, got free pizza. I love getting free pizza. It's the best. I'm going to get so pizza. fat. I'm so going to get fat. I'm going to get weirdly overweight. Like, you're going to see me like, what happened to Adol? I swear to God, at one point he was kind of good looking and now he's just really tub. <laughs> well, I do have a question for you, and especially since you have a pizza blog, you are a pizza expert, you know, by default. So, have you ever had Chicago pizza? Yes. Okay, so but have you had New York pizza? Yes. Can you be the deciding objective third party to to break the stalemate between, between Chicago and New York as who has the best pizza? Because this is, I mean, this Can goes go farther deeper than. Can I just huh? go with neither? Because you both suck. Because <laughs> do you want to know what an actual pizza is? Here's what an actual pizza is. Okay, for the people who don't get this, this is pizza. Pizza is. Thin base, not thick. It's thin base. It's not deep pan. It's thin pan. You have mm-hmm. Italian crust. That's number one. Number two, you have plenty of sauce. Number three, you have cheese. <laughs> not just salt cheese. You have mozzarella cheese or goat's cheese. It's delicious, <laughs> right? You don't go cheddar. You don't go any of the other bullshit. You have it the way it is. You stick okay. it in the oven. You let the outside char and burn a little bit. And you have a wood oven. You don't have like a whatever oven. You have a wood oven. You do that, it chars on the outside, it captures the flavor. You actually use aromatic wood. Oak is actually a good one. It does work. Chicory is another one um, and a few others. I mean, it depends which one it is. You try that out, it puts perfect. The most seasoning that you put on that is black pepper, maybe a basil leaf. 
Mm, that's how you okay. sort that shit out. That is basically it. New York, you guys have good pizza, but the problem I have with New York pizza is you have to kind of go to the right place to get it. Otherwise, it's it's not uniform. Like right. you know, people that make like thick crust, thin crust, stupidly, it dries out very quickly, so it becomes very hard and feels like eating a piece of cl- cardboard. <laughs> it, it's, it, trust me, I have my beef with it. With the same people in in Chicago, you guys got the deep dish. I kind of have to respect you for having the deep dish. The problem is, yeah, it's it's that's a pizza casserole. Pe- that's not a that, pizza. That's a pizza pie. <laughs> yeah, well, they took the pie part very literally, yeah. But yeah, yeah, they, that's they not- took that a little bit too literally. <laughs> so if I'm if I'm gonna go with both, like my my discussion of this is neither one can do good. Okay. That's, that's fair. That's fair. That's that, also that's not... for an objective person. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so what makes it good? Nothing. Well, to be fair, if you, it depends where you go. If you go to Mario Botelli's uh, kitchen, he'll serve you an amazing pizza. Because, mm. you know, but you want to get the one with cheese, not the one that's just a classic. Because if you get a classic, you don't get any cheese on it. You just get basically a regular pizza uh, that's just sauce and bread, which is what it originally was. Right, right, right. Wasn't it to welcome... Uh, oof. It was supposed to be the Italian flag with the pizza. The the sauce is red, the basil is green, and the cheese is white for someone visiting Italy. Or this is maybe a fairy tale I was told. I have Something. no idea. This first time I've actually heard that. What I've actually yeah, heard, heard beforehand it. is that it's just basically it, it's it's just a meal that you have before um, from kind of like a breakfast. It's like hey, we made some like lasagna is basically like leftovers put together the next morning. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. So this is the sauce that's left over from the lasagna. You eat it with the bread, and now you get yourself a pizza. There you go. So Maybe go. I was told the fairy tale version of it, but you know. <laughs> the the this, the next the next question I have for you, really, because we're going to speak a little bit after the show. But the next question I have for you is like, if you had to give three pieces of advice for business owners, entrepreneurs, and marketers and coaches that are essentially in that, that they're in one of two places. They're either stuck in a rut and they don't know how to get away from it mm-hmm. or they don't know what they're doing. Sorry, they're stuck in a rut or they're <laughs> feeling accomplished. Sorry, this is really funny. Someone's been trying to do something for the last five minutes. It's really hilarious watching them do it. But um, <laughs> So they're stuck in a rut or they're very likely they've hit a plateau. Like, What advice would you give them to A, get back on moving and also get back to succeeding growth? Like what advice would you give? Oh, this is a good question. So I think to, hmm, I don't know which one you would do first, but go, for go one, you know, one is to remind yourself why you're even doing this to begin with. You know, like why did you even decide to start a business? Why are you doing this particular business? Like what was it that first got you all excited about it? And, you know, if that's something, and I, I this is going to sound a little bit kind of crazy when some people say, you know, you know what was it, profit, uh, profit, you know, profit from your passions or whatever the cutesy phrase is. You know, sometimes those passions change. So yeah. if you realize, you know, I'm in a rut because I actually don't like doing this anymore, that's an okay feeling to feel. And that's definitely something that needs to be explored more. Um, so kind of following that, you know, if you, when you remember, like, why I even I'm doing this, okay, so why, you know, really getting self-aware, right, and putting the lens on yourself and thinking, well, if I was excited about it then, why are my circumstances different now than before? Like, what is really the reason why I'm in a rut? So often it could be, you know, a weird form of procrastination. It could often be just that, you know, you've, you need to, something new to explore, still in the same arena, whether it's a new platform or maybe just a new, it can be even a new offer, a new something. But it's just, you're, you're feeling bored, but you're still excited about what you do in general. And then after that, I would go into, and even getting on the phone with them, what was your happiest client? What were they 
so happy about? What was it that you did for them that got them completely straightened out, um, that they you know, either had the best conversions from, that they, you've had you know, the most productivity, whatever it is? Your best client, go back to those emails or, as I said, even going back on the phone with them. And then really just you know, talking about some of those wins. And then doing that, you realize, okay, so I know I've definitely served one person. I'm capable of serving others. And then going from there and, and marrying both why you wanted to do this, what you have already done, and what can you do going forward. And then ideally problem solved. <laughs> awesome. That works. It's pretty badass. All right. <laughs> Any last thoughts that you want to share with us before we, we head off? Um, I do have one request. What's the as request? Hedonism, but, as hedonism, but, if you can say, I regret nothing. Oh, <laughs> uh, hold on. Hold on. I gotta, try get, I gotta get this. Hold on. Hedonism, but. Okay, go, go. John B. Hold on. Go. Ooh, John B. There it is. I regret nothing. There we go. I, I, I don't know if I actually did that correctly. I haven't heard him say that in a very, very long time. So if I fucked up, I fucked up, and I don't care. No, you did Jimmy a good crack job. Corn. Because Jimmy cracked corn and I don't care. I hate you, Fry. <laughs> yes, it is crazy for a robot to want to be a country singer. <laughs> well, I think that impression was good. It was good. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to basically tell you guys, go check out stephaniearroyo.com. What's your Facebook group again? Marketing, not mindset. Right, we didn't really cover that, but who cares? We'll do that on another episode of Tales <laughs> of Suspense or Insanity. I don't know. Fuck it. We need a finger point. It'll be fun. <laughs> For anyone that remembers Professor Farnsworth. Yay. Hubie. <laughs> but anyway, we'll cover that on another episode. Guys, just go check out stephaniearroyo.com. Go join her Facebook group. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and understood a lot about storytelling as well as how mindsets and stuff have changed and basically how media uh, pervades things in a way that creates hype but also deliverability. Um, so, yeah, enjoy. And I've been, as always, I've been your host of the most and hopefully this is the nerdiest episode of uh, the show that we've had so far. Enjoy and I'll speak to you guys soon. Thanks again for being this, Steph. You're welcome. <laughs>